Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to Phoenix Bible Church. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If you're new, I'd love to meet you. I'll be in the back right after the service. If I haven't done that yet, stop by and say hello. We are in this new series, the second week of it, called Broken People, Big God. And this morning, we're looking at the life of Moses. And I don't know if you grew up in church or have been a Christian for a while or not, but you probably have some idea of this guy Moses. Like, even if you've just seen the movies, like the original Ten Commandments, right? You have the amazing Moses, Charlton Heston, let my people go, right? He comes off as a hero, this strong and powerful leader. And then my personal favorite, Prince of Egypt, right? The animated version, right? You have this slim, fun-loving guy, Moses, who is ageless, right? You have the ageless Moses. He's He's about 80, we think, but he looks like he's 38 in Prince of Egypt, right? So you have the ageless Moses in Prince of Egypt. And then we have the most recent, the movie Exodus. And there you have the awful Moses, because that movie was just plain awful. Forget about they just butchered the biblical account, but that was just a bad movie. And so if you saw that, I apologize. It's not what happens in the text. But you probably have this idea of Moses, whether you grew up in church or not, that he was amazing, that he was ageless, that he's awful. I don't know what your perception of Moses is, but we're going to look at the Bible. We're going to look at the book of Exodus this morning. We're going to see in the life of Moses this concept of perseverance. There's tons of stuff, to be honest with you, as I looked at the life of Moses that we could have pulled out. We're just going to focus on this one aspect this morning of perseverance. And so as we look at the text, I want you to see, just like we saw last week, that this isn't about just learning from Moses, but what God does through Moses. As we looked at Joseph last week, we said it's not just about what Joseph did, it's about what God did through Joseph, that Moses and Joseph are flawed people, but that God is faithful. So I want you to see that as we look at this concept of perseverance. So grab a Bible, head to Exodus chapter 15. That's where we're going to be. As you do that, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for a few moments to look at your word. God, I pray that in this moment, for these men and women, for myself, that you would quicken our minds so we can think clearly, that you would soften our hearts so that you can teach us what you want to teach us this morning. And God, I pray as we look at the life of Moses that we wouldn't elevate him or put him on a pedestal, but we would see how big you are, that Moses is flawed, but you are faithful, and help us to see that in whatever circumstance or situation we find ourselves in. God, I pray that you would do that now by your spirit, through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as you look at the life of Moses, really his whole life was one of perseverance. I mean, starting with his birth. If you know the story at all, he should have been killed as a baby boy. You have Pharaoh at the time. He wants to get rid of this group of Hebrews, and he's doing that in a couple ways. One way is through this rigorous slave labor. He's just trying to work them to death. Another way, he's, he, he issues a decree that says all the Hebrew baby boys should be killed. And so Moses is born around this time, and he's a Hebrew baby boy. But he survives that. And not only does he survive that, but he ends up in the royal family next to Pharaoh. And so God shows him grace already, and he perseveres even through his birth. And along the way, he ends up killing an Egyptian, and he becomes at odds with Pharaoh, and he has to flee Egypt. 
He flees Egypt, ends up in a place called Midian in the desert in the middle of nowhere. He marries, has a baby. Scholars think that he was there as a shepherd for about 40 years. So Moses is around 80 years old. He looks like he's 38 in the Prince of Egypt, but he's about 80 at this point when God calls Moses to go back to Egypt to rescue the Hebrew people. And how does he do it? Through a burning bush. We just think about all the crazy obstacles of Moses' life already to this point. And then this one comes. A little context here. You have the Hebrew people who haven't really heard from God in a blatant, direct way for about 400 years. Right? We talked about Joseph last week. Remember that? Joseph dies. That little family of Hebrews grows into a large, massive group of people over 400 years. But they're enslaved in Egypt, and they're wondering, God, are you still alive? Are you still present? Are you still powerful? Are you going to fulfill the promise you made to Abraham? Is that going to happen? And so look at this daunting task that God is giving Moses to persevere through, that he shows them this burning bush. That at 80 years old, he's been away himself for 40 years, that he's going to go back to these Hebrews and say, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to be your deliverer. God has not forgotten about you. That's an amazing task that God gave Moses to persevere through. I mean, you just think about it. The burning bush. I know this week we were at um, the hole in the rock in Tempe. And we were at the top of the rock, and my parents were in town, so we're kind of showing them different parts of the city. Like, there's downtown. Here's this over here. Here's this over here. And my dad looks over and he sees some smoke. And he's like, well, what's that smoke over there? Is that normal in Phoenix? No, um, it's not. And so about halfway between us and the Phoenix Zoo, if you've been over there, there's a palm tree that has smoke coming from it because one of the branches is on fire. And so we're looking at this and I'm just like, well, that's interesting. And a couple seconds pass and the tree begins to engulf in flames right before us. Right, we're at the top of the hole in the rock as a family. I got my kids with me and my, do- my dad with me. And there's a tree going ablaze between us and the zoo. And so I did what any other heroine would do. And I called 911. I said, There's a tree on fire by the hole in the rock. So they transferred me to the fire department. And I'm explaining this to them. And they just think I'm crazy. Right? They kind of think I did it. Like they're wondering, like, so the tree just caught on fire? Yeah, right. Um, did you see anybody around? Like, was there any sparks that, fl- that flew? And I'm like, no, I'm just, we're sitting at the top of the hole in the rock, and this tree just caught on fire. It did. It was crazy. And so they sent somebody out, and she's like, okay. And she sent a fire truck out, and they saved the day. But imagine as, as that lady on the end of the, end of the line thought I was kind of crazy. Imagine for Moses. This is God's providence that I saw this this week. <laughs> I don't know. Does that happen in Phoenix? As a side note, it gets so hot, trees just start catching fire. I mean, that's, I don't know. I've only been here for a year, so who knows? But this was this week I saw this, and just it made me think, like, how crazy for Moses to say, to show up to these Hebrew people. God hasn't shown up to you in 400 years, they think. He's seemingly off your radar. I've been gone for 40 years. But guess what? God still cares. He's still here. He's going to fulfill his promise and deliver you. Moses, how do you know? Well, see, I I saw this burning bush. And um, it didn't actually burn up, like the palm tree. But 
God told me this, and, and he sent me back to rescue you. That was crazy for Moses to do that. He had to persevere through that, but he does. God makes himself clearly known through wonders, through plagues. He wants the Hebrew people to know, I'm still here. I am going to save you. I'm still the same God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he does these wonders, and he does these plagues, and he lets them know, and he lets Pharaoh know that I am God, and I'm going to rescue these people. And he does. And then we get to the Red Sea. At that climactic moment where Pharaoh is behind, he's chasing after them, and you have the Red Sea in front, and they don't know what to do, and they're thinking, we're going to die. Why did you bring us out here, Moses? And what does God do? He provides. Right? He has Moses take his wooden staff, put it in the Red Sea, and he parts it, and they are rescued through that experience, and he perseveres. And all along the way, Moses deals with his own doubts, his own insecurities, his own inadequacies, but God enables him to persevere. But if you know the story, you know that's not the end, right? Like that would have been a good end to the movie, and they just live happily ever after, but that's not what happens. Like Moses and the Israelites, trial after trial, have to persevere. Problem after problem, they need God's provision. And so we're just going to look at three. We're going to look at three in chapters 15, 16, and 17. We're going to see three problems, and I want you to see three guiding principles for perseverance in their lives that we can apply to our lives. So look at the text with me. Exodus 15 is where we land, verse 22. We'll start there. It says this, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. They came to Merah. They could not drink the water of Merah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Merah. Merah means bitter. Verse 24. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, Well, what shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Therefore, the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the, the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elim, where, they were, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by water. And so remember the context. As we look at this passage, remember the context. Moses and the Israelites have just been miraculously delivered through the parting of the Red Sea. And earlier in chapter 15, it says they're praising God. They write a song. They sing that song. They're, they're declaring in worship to God that he's amazing, that he saved them, that he's faithful. And they're really excited. I mean, they had the tambourine out. It was a big worship set, right? But then they come, it says, three days later into the wilderness, and they need water and there is water, but it's bitter. So how do they respond? Verse 24, they grumbled. And we look at that and we wonder, how could they so easily forget? I mean, it's just three days later, God saved them through the Red Sea. And now they need water. And we think of that and just like, how could they go from grumbling or praising to grumbling so quickly? I mean, God parted the Red Sea. I think he can provide a drink of water. But this is what... They do, and if you think about it, we do this all the time, right? Like, how many times in your life are you at church on a Sunday, and the preacher is preaching, and you're just engaged and into it? And you're just like, 
I just feel like he's preaching to me. And you're giving him feedback, right? That's a good thing to do. You're giving him feedback, and you're just like, come on. Come on now, preach. Amen. Like you're engaged. And when the singing's going on, the worship's happening, you're just like, spirit, lead me where you trust. And you're all over it, right? You're praising God. You're worshiping him on a Sunday. But then what happens? Like Monday hits, and that person cuts you off. You get that bill in the mail. That friend doesn't call you back. That work just is a stinky, crappy Monday. And you respond to that, and you're just like, God, why do you hate me? Like, God, where's your favor in my life? And just the day before, man, you were going at it. Like, where's spirit lead me? And now you're grumbling. You go from praising to grumbling, just like the Israelites. So what do we need? We need perspective. And God gives that to us, and God gives it to the Israelites. Here in chapter 15, look at verse 25. Moses cries to the Lord. What does God do? He shows them a log, and he throws it into the water, and the water goes from bitter to sweet. But he doesn't just provide. He wants to teach them. Verse 25, he says he wants them to listen to him and keep his statutes. And then at the end of verse 26, he says, For I am the Lord your healer. What is God doing? What is God doing? He's reminding them of his faithfulness. And you just look at this and the, the similarities between this and the Red Sea. Like Moses takes this wooden staff, he sticks it into the sea, and it parts, and they're saved. Three days later, they get to this water that's bitter, and God says, Moses, take a wooden log and throw it into the water, and that bitter water will become sweet. What God is doing is saying, listen, the same God that was faithful then is faithful now. The same God that made provision then is going to make provision now that I'm faithful. And you need perspective. Remember that. You need to see that. If you think about it, all of life is a war of perspective. Like if you look at your life, it's a war of perspective. Like am I going to see things the way God sees them? Am I going to throw on his lenses? Or am I going to see things the way I see them and the way the world sees them? All of life is a war of perspective. I remember a few years ago, I was going for a, a run. And for whatever reason, I decided to go on a seven-mile run. And that was interesting because I, I wasn't running at the time. And um, I was at my wife's parents' house, and she lives in the middle of nowhere in Texas. And literally, it's a cornfield. As you, as you pull up, you see a cornfield, and there's her house, right? So that's where I am. That's the setting I am. I don't really know it too well. It's a few years ago. And I, I decided I'm going to go for a long run, a seven-mile run, the longest run I've ever had in my life, despite the fact that I've just been sitting on my couch. It was a dumb idea, right? I did the run, but I was sore for the next week, couldn't walk. But I decided to go do this, and I'm going for this long, long run in a place that was unfamiliar. I didn't really know where I was going. I was going to get to the end of a certain point and just turn around. I thought about turning back multiple times, right? And I would go through this war of perspective, I mean, even miles at a time. Like, there would be a certain mile where I would say, like, I can do this. Like, this isn't that bad. I, the Rocky soundtrack comes on, and I'm just like, dun dun And I'm like, I can do this, right? That song ends, and I'm just like, I can't do this. And I'm trying to hit reverse to go back to that track, because I need perspective. And then I see the cornfields, and I'm like, that looks good. I'm hungry. 
Like maybe I should stop and turn around. And, and I'm battling perspective for about two hours going on this run. Like, I can do this. I can't do this. I'm hungry. Like, I'm hurting. And I'm thinking, like, should I turn back? Should I stop? But then I would just keep going back to it. I can do this. And I would, I would persevere because it was a war of perspective. For some of you, God has you in a wilderness. Like you don't know where you're going. It's an unfamiliar place. And you're thinking about turning back. Maybe that's financially. Maybe it's relationally. Maybe it's spiritually. Maybe you're here today. And you made it here today. But it was a battle. Right? It was a battle of your mentality, of your perspective. Like maybe you're thinking about joining a community group and getting to be known and getting involved in the church and serving in the church, but it's a battle of perspective. And you think, well, but yeah, what about that church that burned me before? What about that pastor who wasn't truthful? What about those people who didn't reach out to me? And it's a battle of perspective, and you're thinking of all the reasons why you shouldn't take the next step with God, take the next step with church, and God wants to change your perspective. Like, he wants to remind you, I've been faithful before, I'm going to be faithful now. I'm the same God, right? And he's going to bring you through. He's going to invite you into the body of Christ, and he's going to change your life. But you need to trust him. You need to have that perspective. Maybe that's in a relationship in your life. Maybe you're going through conflict in your life right now. Maybe this morning. Maybe on the way here. And you're not sure what to do. It's an unfamiliar place. You don't know where it's headed. And God wants to change your perspective and invite you to trust in him, to see that he's faithful. He's been faithful before. He's going to be faithful now. You need perspective. So how do we do that? Well, you think back on your life. I know for me, we are a month into having a third child. And at times, it's, it's overwhelming, right? Like the baby's crying. We have two other kids. We're trying to pack boxes right now because we're moving to central Phoenix. We're excited about that for the long term, not so much for the short term. I like trying to move with a baby, and it's hectic, adjusting the three, newborn, trying to move and get ready to do that. And it's hectic, and it can be overwhelming. And so what do I need to do in those times? I need to get perspective, right? I need to remember how it was with the first kid, that it was the same way. I didn't remember how it was with the second kid, that it was the same way. I had these same feelings, but God brought us through that. And ironically, with both kids, as they were newborns, we moved, right? So it's not hypothetical. Like, I literally can look back and be like, I remember with Neela, and we moved, and it was crazy, but God brought us through that. I remember with Ashwin, and we moved to Portland, and it was crazy, but God brought us through. And that same God who was faithful then is going to be faithful now. And man, what's he going to teach us? We know what he taught us last time, the patience, the perseverance. What's he going to teach us now? It changes completely the way I see a trial and the way I persevere through that trial. So you need to look back in your life. How has God been faithful before? How can he be faithful now to allow you to persevere through this trial? Some of you are thinking, well, I don't have those experiences. Maybe you're a newer believer. Well, what do you do? You need to look at Scripture. You need to see God's character there. See how he's dealt with people in Scripture. See how he was faithful then, how he can be faithful now. You need to read Christian biography. And there's story upon story in our history as Christians of God bringing people through trials. 
of God enabling people to persevere through a trial. You need to read about those guys. If you don't have experiences to draw on in your own life, you need to read about the experiences of others and be encouraged that God is faithful. You need to go to some people in this room. Maybe some of you just had a kid. Maybe your job just changed. Maybe you have conflict in your family. You need to find some people in your community group, in this church, and say, man, you did this. Like you, You have a family. I know you've talked about conflict before. How did you guys resolve it? How was God faithful through that? You need to grab some people to get perspective. So how do we persevere? And first, we see Moses and the Israelites, they get perspective. We need that same perspective. And then we come to their second trial. Flip over to Acts, or Exodus 16. Exodus 16, we'll start in verse 1. It says this, They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Zen, which is between Elim and Sinai. And on the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, and, on the, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, what, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Verse 5. On the sixth day, then they, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be as twice, twice as much as they gather daily. So their next problem is hunger, right? We see that in this text. And what do they do? All right, they begin to grumble. They continue to grumble. As you look at the Hebrew people in Exodus, as you look at really all of Scripture, this is a pattern, right? Like people grumble. But it's not just a pattern then, right? It's a pattern now. Like we often grumble. It's interesting. Pew Research recently did a study on Twitter, and they were trying to find trends. Like trends on Twitter of, are these people typically liberal or conservative? Are they trying to push this agenda or that agenda? Like what kind of trends are on Twitter, this medium, where we can just write little comments? And they did this research, and ultimately they couldn't find a trend except for one. Complaining, right? That this was this one trend because our culture likes to complain that when trials and obstacles come up, we react. We most often complain. Listen, so much of life is not just what happens. It's how you respond to what happens. Like when trials come, do you complain or do you look to God for provision? Like when trials come in your life, do you complain or do you look to God for instruction? And say, God, what do I do? Like, do you focus and get perspective and ask for a provision with instruction of what to do, or do you complain? That's a lot of us, right? We all do that at different seasons of life. So what does God do through Moses in this trial? Look at the text. He graciously gives provision with instruction. He rains bread down from heaven. And it's not just plain, bland bread. No, later in chapter 16, we read it's wafers. It's like wafers with honey. So it's like raining pastries, right? It's like the other day, it was National Donut Day. They ran out. We stood in a long line and got Chick-fil-A instead. 
But just imagine those pastries just raining down and filling up everything around you. And that's what God does. He gives them provision, but he also gives them instruction. He says, gather a day's portion every day. And on the sixth day, get double. We find out later that he wants them to take the day off on the seventh day, right? He's teaching them to work and then to rest. He's teaching them the rhythm of life. He wants them to obey him, to practice his instruction. I know for me, a few months ago, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, and I was talking about just the pressure of family, of work, of success, of a church that's eight months in, and I want it to grow faster and be healthier and, and achieve all these things, and I want a staff, and I want a building, you know, just, I want all these things to happen now. I want all these people to meet Jesus, like, I want it to happen now, and, and he's a pastor, and he's planted a church, and so he knows what those uh, feelings of tension are like. And as he was talking to me, he just said, what if the goal was just to finish? Like, what if the goal was just to finish? Because so many guys don't do that. So many pastors, so many churches don't do that. Like, what if the goal was just to finish? And what he was saying, and as we begin to talk with one another, what he was saying is that you can't control that success. Like, you can't control the success of your church. You can't control the success of your family. Like you can't make your kids obey. But you can control God's instruction. You can respond to his instruction. You can obey to what he has commanded. Just the simple, revealed will of God. That you get up in the morning, that you're faithful to your family, that you're faithful to your church, that you love them well, that you proclaim truth that you're gracious to the community around you, that you declare the gospel, that you do that today, then you go to bed, and then you get up and you do it again. And then you get up and you do it again. That you be faithful to what God has revealed to you, that you obey his provision with instruction, and that you keep doing that. And listen, that's all of us, right? You can't control the success of your job. You can't control all of your relationships and your conflict. You can't control that. But what you can do is be faithful to what God has called you to. You can practice his instruction. Like he's given us his word. Like we can read that and follow what it says. We can just try that and not worry about the rest that we can't control. We can just try to practice his instruction. And that's what he asked Moses and the Israelites to do. He says, gather a day's portion every day. On the sixth day, get double, so that on the seventh day, they can rest. It's two basic things, right, that God tells them. It's really simple. I'm going to give you this provision, but listen, I want you to do two things. I want you to share, and I want you to take a day off. Sometimes we look at God, and we think he's this controlling dictator. <laughs> he asks them to share and take a day off. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's right, so hard. A lot of things we see in Scripture that are just basic ways that we treat one another, that we work hard. God's asking us to practice those instructions. And some of you are thinking, well, I don't know what those instructions are. Like, I'm trying to get this job, and I don't know which one to take. I'm looking for this place to live, and I don't know where that place is to live. I have this conflict in my life and my relationships, and I don't know how to respond. But listen, you need to respond to God's revealed will. And not always look for something new. Like start there. Excel at God's revealed will. How do we do that? When we look to scripture. 
we see that God may not tell us what job we should take, but he tells us the kind of person to be that everyone would want to hire. Right? He says, work hard is for the Lord. That God may not tell you the next step in that conflict, but he'll say this. He'll say, speak truth and love. That this is the type of person you should be. You respond. You practice that instruction. And along the way, I'll make provision in some of those detailed ways that you don't see yet. But we need to start practicing his instruction if we're going to persevere. God sets out the essentials in Scripture through godly people around you. He has a prescribed plan for us to follow. But most often, we don't want to follow it. Like Most often, what do we do? We resist. We were at uh, Slide Rock State Park the other day in Sedona. And uh, it's this really cool place. If you haven't been, it's, you can basically slide down a rock into a little pool of water. It's amazing. And I went with my clothes on, and we brought swimsuits and stuff for the kids. And I was just thinking, like, I won't want to do that. Like, no, we'll just hike around. We'll watch the kids have fun and get wet. But, of course, this happens every time. But I get there, and nature takes over. <laughs> I'm just like, man, it looks, the water looks so great. Like, the slide looks so fun. And my kids are like, come on, Daddy, let's do this. And so I have on shorts and a T-shirt, and I'm just like, all right, you know, this is dad life. And I get in with my kids, the water's freezing, and we're sliding down this rock into this pool. And my daughter at first, she wants to do this, but she doesn't know how. And so I tell her, like, you need to sit down on your bottom so you can just slide right in and be stable. And she's sitting there, and the, and the water's kind of streaming by us, and it's kind of hectic. And I got my son over here. My wife's on the sidelines with our newborn baby. And so I got the, both kids, and she's like, I don't want to do that. No, no, no. And I'm like, no, sit on your bottom. And she's kind of doing like this. And, you know, she's like going head first. And I'm like, no, you're not going to want to do that. Like, there's a prescribed way to do this. Sit on your bottom. Right? And so finally I would get her to sit on her bottom, just kind of plant her there. And then she would go down in the pool. And she would come back and she would say, that's the most amazing thing I've ever done. But then she would be ready to do it again. And what would happen? She'd be like awkward again, like, I'm not sure what to do. Like, no, no, no. And I'm like, sit on your bottom. She's like, I don't want to do that. I'm like, sit on your bottom. And she would go down the slide again, and she would come back, and she's like, that's the most amazing thing I've ever done. And it happened like seven or eight times. Right? I was giving her the prescribed way to go down for her safety, for her good, but she didn't trust that. Like, she wasn't sure. You see, most of us, we want to get to a certain end game, but we don't trust God to get us there. Like, there's an end game in your relationship that you want to see happen. You want to see resolution in that conflict, in that trial, but you're not sure God is good enough to get you there. You're not sure his prescribed way is the best way, and you think, maybe I'll go another way. And listen, that's what the Israelites did. We go on to read, and we look, and we see that these simple instructions, share, take a portion, and take a day off, and they don't do it, right? They stock up during the week. They take more than their portion, and there's like worms in the bread. They start to gather on the seventh day, and they don't obey God's prescribed instruction. God is teaching us if we want to persevere, he has a prescribed way to follow and listen, let me be clear. This isn't the prosperity gospel. It's not if do this and everything will go well for you. That's not what it is. But it is that God has a prescribed plan for you to become more like him, for you to work that out in relationships. God has a prescribed plan. He's revealed it in his word. He's revealing it to other people in your life. And he wants you to follow it. 
But so often, we resist. We'll say things like, I feel like I'm alone. And I'll talk to people like this. Man, I just feel like I'm all alone. Like, there's really no people in my life who care about me. Nobody reaching out. And I'll say this, like Hebrews 10 says, don't give up meeting together, right? We see that in Scripture, his prescribed plan. Don't give up meeting together, encourage one another. And so we'll say, get in a community group. Like, that's what they're for. And people tell me all the time, well, I'm busy. Like, I don't have time for that. Or I tried that, no one, didn't re- no one really reached out to me. Well, keep trying. Like, relationships are hard. They take a long time to, d- to develop. But that's God's prescribed plan in your life. Keep trying. I'll hear people say, I'm having conflict with my family. And we look at scripture and we see Matthew 5 says, reconcile with your brother. Like, go to him. Address it. Forgive where you need to forgive. And people will tell me, well, that's, that's going to be awkward. And I want to say, is it awkward now? Yeah. Well, why don't we just try that? Like, What's going to happen? Like, maybe it'll turn from awkward to awesome. Like, wouldn't you want to take that chance? Because otherwise, you're just in awkward with no chance of awesome until you follow God's prescribed plan. But we don't do that. We resist. We say things like, I'm struggling with a specific sin. We look in James, right? It says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. Well, I don't want to do that. (laughs) I mean, that's scary, intimidating. People are going to be judgmental. I don't want to let people in my life. I don't want to do that. But listen, that's God's prescribed way out of that sin. Follow it. Try it for a change. See what happens. Like he's given us his revealed will. He may not have given you all the specifics you want. It may not be to your liking, but he's given you a plan to follow He wants you to practice instruction as you persevere. When obstacles and difficulty come in your life and you think, I'm going to go my own way, I'm going to try my own thing, I'm going to do my own thing, God's reaching out to you and saying, no, lovingly, no. Like if you go down that rock that way, if you go down all funky with your leg up, like it's going to go bad for you. Sit down. Like there's a way I've designed this thing, wired this thing, orchestrated this thing for you to function in. For your good, not to your detriment. We need to trust him and practice his provision. If we are going to persevere, we need to take that step in your life. The next trial we come to, we see provision. Exodus 17, turn there. Exodus 17 starts in verse 1. It says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of Zen by stages according to the commandment of the Lord. Encamped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord says to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking you with some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, 
and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. In this last trial, we see things escalate, right? Look at verse 2. Verse 2, people go from grumbling to Moses to quarreling with Moses. Verse 3, they're asking Moses, what are you trying to do, kill us? Verse 4, Moses says the people are ready to stone them, him. And listen, that's not a figure of speech. Like, that was common in that day. Then when people felt threatened, they would stone people to death. And Moses is thinking, maybe that's going to happen. He cries out to God that this grumbling escalates to quarreling as they have this need for thirst again. What you see happening with the Israelites is the same thing that happens with us. Like when we experience problems in life and trials in life, what do we do? Like we zoom in on those problems. We only see the size of our problem, and we don't see the size of our God. 